I'm Leanne Spencer, founder of Body Shop Performance Limited, best-selling author, TEDx speaker, and your host. This is the Remove the Guesswork podcast, the show where I interview influential people in the health, fitness, and well-being space to bring you the latest ideas on how to optimize your mind, body, and well-being. The show is brought to you by my company, Body Shop Performance. We create total solutions to optimize your health by focusing on sleep, mental health, energy, body composition, digestion, and fitness. We work with busy professionals on a one-to-one basis for six or 12 months using the latest science and technology. And Body Shop also work with businesses who want to create a culture of energy, vitality and performance and position well-being as a competitive advantage. Find out more at bodyshopperformance.com and enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to the Remove Guesswork podcast. I'm your host, Leanne Spencer, and this week I'm bringing you a talk I delivered very recently for one of our clients. And the talk was positioned around the the idea of the corporate athlete, how you can get ready for the rigors of daily life. So with their permission, we recorded the talk. I'm going to bring it to you in this episode, a little bit longer than our usual. I think we're about 40, 45 minutes, but it is packed full of useful tips, things that can spark ideas and, and thoughts in your mind about how you can potentially improve Perhaps aspects of your well-being that you haven't thought so much about. So resilience, self-care, life changes, well-being, weight management, fitness. What makes us a corporate athlete, a business athlete, someone that is ready for the rigors of daily life and the rigors of business life as well, whatever it is that you do. So I hope you enjoy this episode, a little different from our usual, but as and when I deliver talks and with the permission of the client, I'll bring you those because I think they can deliver a lot of value to you as well. So enjoy and I'll talk to you soon. Thank you very much for inviting me in. Thanks to Dan and the people team as well for bringing me in. My name's Leanne Spencer. I'm an expert in personalized health. I'm a speaker, a podcaster, an author of a couple of books. So I've done a few things. I contribute to a platform as well called Thrive Global. Anyone heard of that? Ariana Huffington's platform. May have heard of her through the Huffington Post, a business that she sold following a quite well-publicized burnout. So I contribute articles to her platform as well. So done a few things, but my story is, or kind of my my career, if you like, is in two stages. First half, I worked in the city, and this is a short talk. I want to give as much value and content to you as possible. So I'm not going to go into a long spiel about my story, but I had a burnout myself in 2012. My life was completely different then. I was working in the city, medicating against stress, and what I now see was a real lack of fulfillment, lack of authenticity in what I was doing drinking anything up to a bottle and a half, sometimes more of wine every single day, three and a half stone heavier, completely different. And that that burnout was a real realization for me. And long story short, I made some resolutions to massively transform my life or change is a word I prefer. So I left my city job very abruptly. I literally jumped out the plane and then worried about whether I packed a parachute on the way down, resigned with nothing to go to, took some time out to rest and recover. And then about six weeks later, thought, what am I really interested in? What am I passionate about? And there are two things. One was business. I've always wanted to run my own company and how I got lost and working for someone else for 17 years, I'm not quite sure. And the other thing was health. Well, there's nothing healthy before one of you heckles me by saying there's nothing healthy about drinking a bottle and a half of wine every night. No, there isn't. And that was part of the tension I was feeling. You know, I wanted to live a certain way and actually I was living a different way. So I I thought, how do you intersect business and health? So I retrained as a personal trainer, did that for a couple of years, loved it, couldn't believe that my job was to meet someone in a park at six in the morning and throw a medicine ball at them and hold pads. But after a while, found that I was, because we were very good at it, 
getting quite burnt out doing that, but for a fraction of the money. So the business evolved into from a personal training company into a company that worked with individuals on health in a more holistic way. So not just looking at fitness, but looking at how you sleep, your mental health, your energy, the way your body's composed, your digestive health, as well as your fitness for the rigors of daily life. And then we realized, well, that's fine working with people one-to-one, but actually businesses themselves are quite unhealthy. Their people are under a lot of stress. Their resilience may be being challenged, not sleeping well, poor mental health. So why not work with businesses to transform or help people change their health in a, in a bigger scale? And that's where Body Shot is now. So that's, that's a bit about what I do. The objectives of this session, it's a short, punchy session. So the objective is, I'm going to give you quite a lot of content. So you're kind of drinking from the fire hose, if you like. There's going to be quite a lot of information. Don't worry about necessarily absorbing it all or certainly thinking you need to put it all into practice. Just pick maybe two or three things, two or three doors, if you like, opened up in your mind about things that you could implement They might be really small. So this could be the minimal effective dose. In other words, what is the smallest thing you can take from this session that is going to have a positive effect on your health? Even if you think, oh, come on, that's tiny. I could could do more than that. But bed those one, two, three things into your lifestyle. And once they're bedded in, in other words, you're waking up and you're just doing them. It's not a force of effort. It's not a have to make a note on the fridge. You just do it week in, week out. And maybe look to bring two or three things in as well. Does that make sense? Does that sound achievable? Yeah, cool. So that's the objective. The purpose of this session is to introduce the concept of the corporate athlete and talk to you about some of the things that I think are important to improve your resilience, your fitness, your general well-being. And I'm going to touch briefly on weight management as well. This is Serena Williams. I imagine everyone recognizes her. She is one of, if not the most decorated athlete of our times. But even at her level, of of achievement as an athlete and an individual she won't be grand slam fit all year round so she won't be fit you know Wimbledon fit all year what she'll be doing is she'll be getting herself geared up for these big events so the Australian Open's coming up on the tennis circuit she'll be fit and ready for that and then depending on how that tournament goes she'll deload she'll train slightly less she'll really double down on her sleep and her food on her meditation, on her massage, and all that kind of recovery-based stuff. She'll get ready for the next tournament, deload. Get ready for the next tournament, deload. She won't be Grand Slam fit all year round. And yet, my observation is that individuals, corporate athletes, business athletes, if you like, do expect ourselves to be performing at a high level all year round. Is that a fair assumption? Yeah. We don't deload. We don't double down on sleep in advance of a big event, but we generally speaking, expect ourselves to perform at a high level all year round without respite. And that's why I think we're seeing challenges with mental health, with resilience, with people's immune systems, with the amount of sick leave and absenteeism that some, most businesses are experiencing a higher than usual amount. And from your perspective, you don't want to be getting sick. You don't want to feel like work is, is all consuming and that you don't have any opportunity to do anything else. And your energies are all being consumed by work. You know, you want to have other passions, other interests, stuff that I'm going to talk about. So that's the idea behind the corporate athlete. And what I'm going to talk about now specifically are four different areas where you can focus on, or as I say, just picking one or two things from each section or just one thing overall to try and represent that corporate athlete idea. So the first thing is resilience. It's not a word I'm very keen on, but you know, you understand what I mean when I say it. So four little things for resilience. 
Sleep and eustress. Sleep is probably the most important thing when we're talking about health, in my opinion. It's very, very hard to talk to you about your mental health or your energy levels or losing fat if you're sleep starved. And in fact, the best strategy, if you were to come to me and say, right, I want help losing weight, what's the first thing I should do? I'd tell you to get seven or eight hours of sleep a night. I wouldn't tell you to move more or eat less or change your diet. I'd tell you to start sleeping more. Because we know when we get a short night of sleep, two things happen to our two key hormones that are relating to appetite. One is ghrelin, which is the hunger hormone. One is leptin, which is the satiety hormone. And what happens when you get a short night of sleep, even just one night, let alone on a consistent basis, Ghrelin gets cranked up and leptin gets suppressed. So you wake up, and you'll all know this, when you wake up tired, is it fair to say you you want to eat more food? You crave more carbohydrate. And that's because you've got elevated ghrelin in the blood with suppressed leptin. Lots of hunger, not much I'm full signals. So sleep is a really great place to start for a whole host of health issues. Matthew Walker's book, Why We Sleep. Has anyone read that? Anyone in Manchester? Okay, it's a brilliant book if you've got the appetite, no pun intended, to read a book on sleep. He's one of the most eminent sleep scientists around at the moment. And he said that if you were to round up or down to the nearest percentage, the percentage of people who genuinely thrive on six hours sleep or less a night, any idea what that percentage would be? So you genuinely, six hours of sleep and you're good. Any guesses? One. One percent? Yeah, it's a good guess. You'd actually be rounding it down to zero. So it's a tiny, tiny percentage of us that really get by on that little sleep. So you may, if you're thinking, well, I'm all right on six hours, you may be one of that tiny, tiny point something percent, but probably not. It's probably adrenaline and cortisol that's getting you through. So most of us need between seven and eight hours of sleep a night. And that will vary on the amount of life load you have. In other words, the amount of physical and emotional mental stress you're under. It will vary according to what you're doing on any particular day. But that's typically what we need. Another stat from Matthew Walker's book was that the man who who consistently gets six hours or thereabouts of sleep every single night has the testosterone levels of a man 10 years his senior. That's the effect it has on energy and virility. And pretty much the same can be applied to women. So sleep, when we're talking about resilience, we're talking about health, getting a good amount of sleep and good quality sleep as well. It's not just the number of, you could have a really lousy eight hour sleep or a really good six hour sleep in terms of quality of deep sleep and REM sleep. And the six hours would be better for you. So sleep's the first one. Eustress is the opposite of distress. So eustress is when we put our body under a stress, but it's a positive one. And this is a tricky one because eustress can be hormetic. In other words, it's the dose that's the poison. So for instance, sauna is a eustress if we stay in it for 20 to 30 minutes and we're reasonably well hydrated because it has a positive effect on our health at a small dose. You stay in that sauna all day and you're pretty much a goner. Cold water's the same. Cold shower, very, very good eustress to put the body under. We like to be in extremes of temperatures. It's good for our resilience. You stay in that cold plunge pool for three hours or so and you're hypothermic. You stay in six hours, you're a goner. So exercise is the same. It's a eustress. And that really improves our resilience. But if you over-exercise, you get detrimental effects on health. So finding some form of eustress to put your body under. Exercise is a really good one. Extremes of temperature is another. And then you have to get the corresponding recovery, of course, to get the benefits. So the benefits of exercise come when you sleep that night, when you get the human growth hormone and various other things that repair and build the muscles that you've damaged during the day in the workout. So when we're talking about resilience, lots of sleep, find ways to put your body into eustress, into that positive form of stress. Fitness. So eustress, an amazing way to put yourself, your body into eustress, is physical fitness. Lifting something heavy once a week, 
doing something that's endurance-based or fast tempo, but cardiovascular once a week, making sure you've got a decent stretch and flexibility routine. I'm going to touch on this later on in the presentation, but fitness is a really good way to build resilience. It's also, I think, a very good way to build mental resilience. You know, if you've got a long run to get yourself through or a regular training plan that you stick to, maybe adapting it according to how you feel, but that's a great way of building resilience. You know that you can get through a really tough 45-minute spin class. You can probably get through this really tough meeting you've got coming up. You know, there are quite a lot of parallels between the two. Getting into a discomfort zone, I'm a big fan of this. We do it in quite an extreme way, but discomfort zone could be public speaking for the first time. I was at a comedy night last night where the comedian, 15 comedians had between two and five minutes on stage before they got carded. In other words, you could, you could boo them off. So after two minutes, they were untouchable for two minutes. And then at the end of that two-minute period, there was a, the lights dimmed momentarily, and, that was, and you could heckle them off. It was brutal. But, I mean, there were some people on there that, that it kind of crashed and burned a bit, but you had to respect them for it. So they're getting themselves massively into their discomfort zone. We do it in really extreme ways. This last year, rather, I did the world's toughest ski race in the Arctic, which was brutal. But marathons are a good example, learning a new musical instrument, learning a language, online dating if you're lonely but apprehensive about you know meeting people all of this stuff takes you into your discomfort zone and it's really good for resilience to do that on a fairly frequent basis so every three months or so find something something that makes you think oh I'd rather not but I probably could do it but not something that has you coming out in hives or a rash or seriously stressed out about it that's too much but that's very very good for resilience as well you're practicing basically being in uncomfortable situations so that's the, the purpose of that self-worth as well resilience resilient people have good self-worth they know what they're good at they don't mind you know they're good at pushing themselves forward they, they place themselves in high esteem and I'll touch on some of the ways that you can do that but that's an also a key part of resilience you have a good strong sense of self-worth deeply connected to your purpose deeply connected to your values that's an also a, a key part of it I'm moving quite quickly through this stuff I know I mean there may be an opportunity to do follow-up sessions on key areas that you think I'd love to find out more about that or take a deeper dive so this is kind of an intro introduction so let's talk specifically about fitness as well key part of being a corporate athlete is having a fairly decent level of overall fitness I'm not talking about how much you can squat or bench press or deadlift or how fast or far you can run I'm talking about your fitness for the rigors of daily life for the rigors of business if you like the ideal blueprint for fitness is something like this one hard or heavy session once a week, one cardiovascular session once a week, one stretching or flexibility or more parasympathetic dominant session once a week. Parasympathetic dominant means this, the, the, the nervous system in the body is called the autonomic nervous system and there are two branches to it. One is sympathetic <laughs> dominance, which is your stressed fight, flight, freeze. So we're sympathetic dominant if we've got a deadline or we're late for work or we've missed a meeting or we're in a workout, for example, going hard and heavy, enjoying it, but we're sympathetic dominant. And parasympathetic dominant is when we're resting and digesting. So hopefully you're all fairly parasympathetic dominant now. So that third session a week could be animal flow, which is a body weight training exercise. It could be yoga. It could be going for a hike, something like that. So the ideal blueprint for most people, I mean, so genetically, some of us recover quicker than others, is about three sessions a week, one hard and heavy, one cardiovascular, one that's more stretching and flexibility based. Make sense? Any questions so far? Cool. Okay. So that's kind of your ideal blueprint. In amongst all of that, 
recovery-based things as well. So things like active rest. Active rest is, is where we're not resting with our feet up with a beer can in one hand and a remote in the other. It's when we're walking or staying active, staying on our feet, standing rather than sitting and making sure you get up at frequent intervals. Recovery is also massage. It's having baths. It's connecting with others. All of that kind of thing is, is active recovery. And that's the really crucial part. My observation is that people, if we come back to Serena Williams, aren't overdoing it. They're under-recovered. We don't place enough importance on, on recovery-based activities. Staying active at work. So you're fairly desk-based, I'm, I'm going to assume, perhaps. You know, how can you be more active in the confines of the workplace? Well, firstly, most of us have our desks pretty nicely set up so that we, we don't have to have my water there, my laptop there, the phone's there, my mobile's there. I don't actually have to move because everything's in an arm span radius. So deconvenience your desk a bit. Have a small glass of water on your table, which you have to continually refill at the tap or the water cooler or whatever. Maybe you have your, your smartphone in your coat, which is hanging over there. So every hour you get up and you go and check it. You have a rule where you stand up for phone calls stand up to make phone calls or receive phone calls. There's a little device on Amazon, which I'm a big fan of. It costs £25. If you put laptop table into Amazon, you'll get this concertina device whereby you can just lift your laptop, put it on top of this device. That forms essentially a standing workstation. And if you want to get into deep work, you just remove it, put it back on the desk and off you go. So I don't know how easily standing desks can be procured here or whether you have to have a I don't know, but if you've got £25 or ThoughtWorks can, can buy you this device, then you can transform your desk into a standing desk. It's, it's quick and easy fix, really. For You don't need a standing desk that sort of whirs up and down, in my opinion. You can just use this thing. Alternatively, if you're at home, you don't even want to spend £25, just put a pile of books on your desk and put the laptop on top of the books, and that's it. You've got a standing desk. Taking the stairs, not the escalator, is an obvious one. Connect better with your colleagues by physically getting up and having a conversation instead of using email or phone calls. Making a note to yourself or triggering an alarm on your phone to get up and move around every hour or so. Just go down the stairs and up the stairs. I really like this idea of exercise snacking, where you're just getting little bite-sized, pun intended, bite-sized chunks of, of movement or exercise. So in our desk, oh, sorry, our office, tiny little office in West Dulwich, We've got a kettlebell, so you can get up, take the kettlebell and maybe do some squats. You could do some bicep curls with the kettlebell, some overhead press. So you just get up and maybe every hour do 10 of those. It gets fresh oxygenated blood moving around the body. It encourages neurogenesis, the creation of new brain cells, which, which happen when we move. We know that movement has a positive effect on mood and on energy levels. So exercise snacking, you know, maybe just go down the stairs and up the stairs every hour. That also can have really positive benefits. So it helps you to stay active. Arguably, and it is arguably because no studies have been done on this, I would say you're, you're healthier if you walk into work a certain distance, don't sit for any prolonged period, get lots of little opportunities to exercise or movement snack, and then go home. It's arguably healthier than the person that goes all out for half an hour in the morning and then sits for the rest of the day. Because we were designed as human beings to move. You know, that pattern of ancestral movement. Cave people wouldn't have killed something in the morning for breakfast, lunch and dinner and then sat down and gone, that's me done for the rest of the day. They'd been up and around foraging, scurrying, looking for berries, looking for water, cleaning tools, picking nits out of each other's hair. They'd have been constantly on the move. And that's kind of the sort of patterns that we should mimic. How to achieve consistency. The idea of having non-negotiables. So what is non-negotiable to you? 
So for me, it's meditation, it's movement, it's vegetable consumption. They're three things that are just non-negotiable. So no matter what proverbial hits the fan, I know that those three things are still happening. Other stuff, like the hard and heavy workout, <coughs> might get pushed off for a couple of days. Or some of the other things that I try and do on a regular basis, sauna, for example, we're lucky enough to have an infrared sauna in the garden. I'm not necessarily going to do that if I've had a really stressful, difficult day. But I am going to make sure I've done my 10 minutes of meditation. I'm going to make sure we eat vegetables and I just move around a bit. All of those things are easy done. So consistency comes when you're really clear on those non-negotiables and also when you're really wedded to the outcome that you want. So if the reason that you exercise and eat well is because you're interested in prolonging your health span for as long as possible into life and you know, defending against cognitive decline and all this kind of stuff, and you get really, really wedded to that, maybe there's someone who's, I don't know, an 80-year-old that you know who's still climbing the hills, which was the case for one of my clients. Her mother-in-law was 80 and and stomping up and down the hills in, in Scotland, should I want to be like that person? So she got really connected to that idea, and that helps you to achieve consistency as well. You're very connected to your why, to the outcome that you want. So a couple of things there for consistency. And then the importance of recovery. Again, just to stress, this is, is absolutely critical when we're talking about being business athletes or corporate athletes. Don't neglect the recovery. And recovery isn't just that really good night of sleep that I've been talking about. But it's the other stuff as well. It's the active rest. It's an idea called heartfulness, which I'm going to explain in a minute, which is getting connected to things that you love doing. It's getting connected to hobbies. It's making sure that you've got lots of opportunity for movement. All of that stuff is recovery promoting. Doing things you love as well is, is recovery based. So talking specifically about well-being, the importance of autonomy. I'm going to touch now on some of the less less appreciated, less talked about aspects of well-being. You know, you'll hear a lot of talk about sleep and mental health and energy and concepts like that. Autonomy, so feeling like you're in control of your life, I think is a really important part of well-being. And one of the ways that you can feel more autonomous, given that you work for somebody else as part of a big organization and don't necessarily have the ability to say, I'm not coming in or I'm not going to do that today, but you're governed more by the overall purpose of ThoughtWorks, it's tapping into this idea of heartfulness that I just alluded to. And heartfulness is kind of two things. The first one is it's doing something for other people. So it's a sense of contribution, doing something that has nothing to do with you. And it could be volunteering. It could be fundraising. So, for example, I volunteer, as does Dan, actually, for a charity called Diversity Role Models. That's how we met. Uh, we go in and help deliver workshops to counter the effects <laughs> of homophobic, biphobic and transphobic bullying. So it's nothing to do with us. It's all about a bigger cause. And that feels really good, right? The other side of heartfulness is connecting with something that you used to love that maybe you just don't have time for anymore. You know, the convergent pressures of work and home have squeezed out the bandwidth that you have to do knitting, balsa airplane making, running, theatre, cinema, whatever it is. You just find that life's become a little bit, you know, work home, work home, work home. So becoming more autonomous is just is that concept of heartfulness. It's doing something, bringing something back into your life, whether it's five minutes a week or an hour a week, whatever you can do, it will help you feel a bit more autonomous. And that helps to create a better sense of well-being. Does that idea make sense? Yeah, okay. So variety is another underappreciated aspect of well-being, I think. It again comes back to that idea that we don't just want to be working and going home and commuting. But variety can be really important. And my sense of well-being improved quite a lot when I introduced more variety, there's no way I could go back to doing what I did before, which is an account director's job in the city. There's no variety to that. What I do now is I run Body Shop, which is my number one thing. I'm also a Bear Grylls survival instructor. So I go out and work with, with typically corporates, but also individuals in some of their survival camps. I have done a day a week 
with a property development company and learned awful lot about DIY. That was really interesting. Not always varied work, but, but that was interesting. And have lots of other things that I focus on as well. So certain things I'll do for sport and certain things I'll do for, for other things. But it's just it's quite a lot of variety in life. And I think that can be really important for well-being. So as a takeaway, maybe think about how much variety have you got? You know, do you have the time to concentrate on other things and hobbies and interests that you're passionate about? And recovery can also be a hobby, by the way. It doesn't necessarily, not necessarily massage or sleep or going for a walk. It could also be a hobby. Yeah, that's kind of what heartfulness is all about. Values. Again, I find that my experience with me and, and also anecdotally with others is getting really connected to your values is an important part of well-being. What is it you stand for? I interviewed someone for my podcast recently called Suzanne Hemmings. She's a children's book author. And it was only when she had her daughter, Thea, I think about seven years ago, that she realized just how gender skewed the world still is. And that some of the things that were being taught, particularly in the books that she was reading to her daughter, were really the message that was going out to the girls, she felt was not a healthy one. Still classic fairy tales of, you know, girls getting kissed by princes and whisked off and rescued and saved. And it's just not the message she wanted to read to her young girls. Not a great message for young boys either. You have to be this valiant saviour of others. Anyway, when she really, she realised this, she decided she wanted to actively change some of this. So she started writing stories that were much more balanced messages to both the boys and girls who might hear them. And I asked her the question on the podcast, so how did that change how you felt about yourself and your overall well-being once you got deeply connected to that particular value? And she said, oh, I've never thought about it, but it was transformational for me. And I felt much more self-assured, I suppose. She felt better about herself because she got really connected to these set of values. So what are yours? You know, and what, what do you do proactively to defend those values? You know, my values are around equality, and that drives a lot of the DRM work, to live truthfully and live considerately. So I try and be truthful in all things that I do. I try to be considerate in the way that I consume things, all the way down from keep cups, which is in there, to recycling and all this kind of stuff. It does make you feel better. It might not be the first thing you think about when we talk about well-being, but actually it really can be quite significant. So that's about getting connected to values. And then purpose is the other thing. The purpose of my business is to, is to prolong your health span through the promotion of personalized health, fitness, and nutrition. So to help you prolong your health span through the use of personalized health, fitness, and nutrition, that's the purpose of our business. And I'll touch on the different ways that we do that in, in, in a few later slides. But when you get very connected to your purpose as well, and it might be involved in work, it might be deeply entrenched in work, in fact, and it may not be, which doesn't mean you're any less of a thought worker or any less committed to the business, but your purpose just might not be to do my best work in thought works. Yes, that's what I do. But actually, these, you know, my purpose is more connected to my personal values. But again, when you start thinking about that, you know, what am I really here to do? It really helps with your overall sense of well-being. So to finish off, weight management. I wasn't sure whether to include this or not, but we've got the time. And um, I don't really like the new, I don't like the new year, new you ideas at all. But let's face it, it is a month when people are quite interested in, in weight management. So I, I included it. So first one, tips for fat loss. That's really what we're talking about when we talk about weight management. Four things. One is the use of cold water. So actually, I'm going to backtrack a bit. One of the really effective fat burning strategies there are for most people, because we all metabolize fat and carbohydrate in a different way is a combination of things, three things, in fact, that you can do. Getting up in the morning and going for some fasted cardio. So fasted means literally that, imbibing no calories whatsoever. And that, that means water or black coffee. That's pretty much it. 
Anything else is breaking a fast. Milk and a coffee is breaking a fast. So fasted cardio. And the cardio could just be a walk. It shouldn't be high intensity. So a brisk walk, light jog, bit of yoga, 20 to 30 minutes. You can have a coffee before all of that, a black coffee, because caffeine does speed up fat burning. So that would be another good thing to throw in if you drink caffeine or green tea. And then when you come back from that bit of faster cardio with your caffeine rolling around inside you, get in a cold shower. Because cold water accelerates fat burning. Basically, there is brown fat, which is a different kind of fat, which we find in our shoulders and upper back. And when it's activated, for example, by cold, it burns white fat, which is the type of fat that most of us want to use. So you fasted, you've had a coffee, you've gone out, done some fasted cardio, you come back in, you've gotten a cold shower for as long as you can endure. So ideally, three minutes, and you will be shivery and possibly swearing and you'll want to get out of there. But that's about right. If that seems too much, cold water face washing and then progress. So at the end of your shower, crank it onto cold and just stand there for as long as you can endure it. But you'll get what's called a mammalian dive reflex, which is the gasping of the cold. That's how cold it should be. But actually, when you start to sit in it, your body quite rapidly, as it does to most things, quite rapidly adjusts and you'll get used to the temperature. And you might even start to enjoy it because it kicks off a whole load of chemical reactions, hormonal reactions in the body. It's very good for energizing yourself. If I'd woken up this morning having had a really rubbish night of sleep, knowing I still had to come here and and not look peaky because that's not going to motivate anyone, I would have had a cold shower. I would have doubled down on the food I ate, made sure it wasn't sugary, even though it's probably what I'd have been craving. I wouldn't have had caffeine. I'd have made sure I did plenty of light level physical activity this morning. So just basically lots of walking. Maybe I'd have walked from Victoria instead of getting the tube to Oxford Circus. I'd have definitely used cold water to energize myself. So that's the first tip. Second one is the idea of intermittent fasting. Now, you can use this if you are trying to lose fat and you can use it if you're not. It isn't technically a caloric restriction diet. It's not a diet at all. In fact, all you're doing is shrinking the window in which you're eating food. So I'll have dinner at typically six o'clock. Now, that might be too early, but you can move the hours along. The point is you're having a fast of around 12 to 16 hours. You're not eating anything. Very good for cellular autophagy, which is basically where dead cells get sloughed off in the body. It's good for energy. It suits some people more than it it suits others. So this is all very personalized. But so we'll have dinner typically at 6 p.m. And then I won't eat again till between 8 and 10 a.m. in the morning. So it's a pretty long fast, but actually you're asleep for a great deal of that. I don't like to eat as soon as I get up. It works for me to, to exercise in a fasted state. So I do. If it doesn't for you, then you have a shorter fast. But there's some pretty good studies out there that show the efficacy of fasting. Now, if you are trying to cut calories, it's quite a good way of doing that as well, because you still you can you can reduce the amount of calories you're eating in that short window. Inevitably, you do anyway, because what I was doing is maybe having a bit of dark chocolate or some cheese and snacking on that between six and nine p.m., for example. And if I started my fast at six, I'm not doing that. So there will be a very small amount of calorie reduction in my diet because of it. So there can be that kind of benefit. But just eating your calories, if you're not trying to lose fat, then just eat the same amount of calories in an eight-hour window. And that's the very simple concept of intermittent fasting. Michael Mosley made it very popular with the 16-8. No, it's a 5-2 diet. And that's a slightly different thing, but it's still a a part of intermittent fasting. So a 12- to 16-hour fast in the day. The key thing with fat loss, longevity as well, but also overall energy levels is managing your blood sugar levels. So you can wear a device, which I did last year, clip it here. I'm not suggesting anyone needs to do this, that monitor all my blood sugar responses to food and exercise and fasting in real time. So I could see when my blood sugar was dropping and I could see when it was rising and what foods cause it to really spike. 
And my uh, only vice now is, the, is Cadbury's chocolate. I mean, it's not even chocolate. It's, it's the worst of the chocolates. So when I was wearing this device, I carried on eating the occasional whole nut bar and the occasional twirl and the occasional chocolate fingers. And they did spike my blood sugar, as you'd expect. But the thing that spiked it most was white rice. Really interesting. So, you know, I'm careful now when I have white rice. And what happens when your blood sugar gets spiked is you'll feel like, boom, energized, wicked. And your, energy, your, your blood sugar will be high. But the body doesn't like fluctuations. In most of the systems of the body, we like to maintain homeostasis, which is equilibrium. So the pancreas will release insulin that binds to that glucose and takes out of the blood. So you'll get this corresponding dip in energy. And what most of us don't want in any scenario, let alone in the office, is big sort of roller coaster peaks and troughs of energy. So managing your blood sugar levels by eating foods and just do it through intuition. You don't need to wear a device. Foods that don't cause big energy spikes. I mean, there are obvious ones, chocolate, refined carbohydrates, jacket potatoes, they all cause huge spikes. So whole, whole foods. I mean, a good rule of thumb for food is if one of our ancestors was to come out of that lift, which would freak him out in itself, was to come out of that lift and stand there, you know, caveman, cavewoman, and, and open the box up, they'd recognize all those foods, the vegetables. They'd be like, mm, recognize that, or however they'd speak. If they were to look at a Cornish pasty and some baked beans, they'd be baffled. And that's a pretty good rule of thumb. If a caveman came in now, would they recognize it? You're probably good to go. And it's probably not going to cause huge blood sugar spikes. So that's a good rule of thumb. But that's one to keep an eye out for. And finally, personalizing your diet. So there are lots of tests that you can do, or you can do this through intuition. What foods work for you? You know, I, I know that I'm with lactose. It can cause a lot of mucus in my throat. I definitely don't eat that in the morning that I'm speaking. Or I'm <clears throat> spending the whole time, <clears throat> excuse me, clearing my throat. So I know that that's not good. I know that white rice really spikes my blood sugar. I have done some testing, so I know I'm very sensitive to carbohydrate and saturated fat. So I keep those fairly low in my diet. And then I personalize it based on other things, you know, existing data about my bloods. You know, for example, my B6 or B12 low, then I'll eat more foods that contain that. Um, so just trying to sp spend a bit of time thinking about how to construct your diet. Now, what foods agree with me, what foods don't? I don't think lactose works very well for me or gluten. So I'm going to cut it out for two weeks and see if I feel better and more energized. And if I don't, it's probably not gluten that's the issue. If it is, I can keep that out. I know that I have a sensitivity, if not an allergy, to gluten. So to personalizing your diet, and that's the future, really, of health, fitness, and well-being at the moment, is personalization. It's using devices like a Whoop device that I wear here, which tracks my sleep, to an Apple Watch that tracks activity, and you don't have to have all this stuff on your body. You can just do it through intuition. But personalization of health and fitness genetic testing, blood testing, gut testing, all that kind of stuff is definitely going to be the future. Wearable tech. So I know that I've rattled through that. So give your feedback to Dan and the people team and let them know, you know, what resonated, what would you like to hear more of, what did you think was not relevant, if that's the case. The core values of my business are these. The number one is to help first. So with that in mind, here's a load of content that you can get for free if any of this interests you. There's the free health IQ report at the top. So if you go to our website, bodyshopperformance.com, Scroll down, you'll have the opportunity to take our test. It takes about four minutes to do. And at the end of it, you get a personalized report full of content about sleep, mental health, energy, body composition, digestion, and fitness. In the newsletter, you can sign up for on the website. We email you once a week. We never sell. We just give you content. So our latest blog, vlog, podcast. Facebook group is Body Shop PT. Twitter, at Body Shop PT. We're not particularly active on Twitter. And then the podcast, which is called Remove the Guesswork, which you can find on our website, but also on iTunes. 
So there's a whole ton of stuff and there's a search bar on our website as well. So if resilience is of interest to you or heartfulness as a concept is of interest to you, put heartfulness in the search bar and you'll get every bit of content we've ever produced on heartfulness. Interested in finding out what your health IQ is? Jump on our website, www.bodyshotperformance.com and click on take the test. It'll take you through to a short two to three minute test. And at the end of that, you'll get a scorecard and a free 39 page report based on our six signals, sleep, mental health, energy, body composition, digestion, and fitness. And if you've enjoyed this episode, please think of someone who could really benefit from the content and hit that share button and send it across to them. And of course, don't forget to subscribe and leave us a rating and a review. Thank you very much for listening.